There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everybody. It's Mike. Just wanted to remind you that what you're about to hear is the second part of my conversation with Adele Chalifu about Whispers of the North from the Salute album. And I hope you've enjoyed it so far, and I hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. Thanks. The first guest of the evening is truly a poet. He's an artist. He is a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think who has ever played the guitar uh, or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot? Yeah, and that's where we're going to be taking this next to look a little bit at the indigenous character of the song. And we could go on all day for this, but we will just take a few minutes here. Whispers of the North, the river and the shore in the land that tested Eskimos 10,000 years before. Now, we got to stop there because the term Eskimo is really cliched and is probably not really acceptable anymore. No, it is not. Um, It's not in Canada at all. Not in Canada. And I think for Americans who know anything about the sensitivity that is needed towards indigenous or BIPOC, it's not a term that probably would be used except by people who are just completely ignorant about what goes on north of the border. Absolutely. Um, Now, he had used the term Eskimo in at least one other instance, okay, in the song Cold on the Shoulder. But again, it was in passing. Yes. Cold on the Shoulder did come out in 1975 and this song came out in 83 or the album came out in 83 so that term was i think still widely used and accepted it is not anymore it has changed completely and for good reason not to make excuses for anybody but i really don't think he meant it in a derogatory or any sort of racial connotation or any sort of way like that from what we know of Gord, that is not him. That is not like him at all. And I really don't think that that was the idea behind it. Oh, no. I mean, if he no. had written racist songs, we wouldn't be talking about him right oh, now. Oh, absolutely not. No. Yeah. But I do think context is important there because yes. this yes. was before a lot of groups had said, or maybe just people's sensitivities changed about mm-hmm. the terms that they wanted to be called. It's mm-hmm. very much like me growing up in the United States and referring to indigenous people as Indians with no distinction whatsoever. Okay. Just using that as a blanket term. Of course. Yeah. Is it my fault that I was raised that way? No. Do I still slip into that from time to time? Of course. But it's something that in the years that you're talking about, okay, language was changing. It is still changing. And so it's something that I think a lot of white society has still not caught up with. Yes, unfortunately. Yes. We do need to look at the term for just a minute, though. I mean, the whole idea Mm -hmm. of Eskimo, some people used to consider it a, a derogatory term, although people in Alaska are not quite as uptight about it. But it was used by colonizers 
maybe yes. some of the same people that you've been talking about that mm. because it meant Eskimo meant somebody who ate raw meat, which yeah. invokes uncivilized or savage or barbaric. Yeah. They don't know how to cook their own meat. They certainly don't use cutlery, blah, 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 blah. The latest research that I read is that it came from the French word Eskimo, E-S-Q-I-M-A-U-X, meaning one who nets snowshoes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not a French linguist, so I can't really speak to that, but that was what was uh, discussed by the University of Alaska. The most popular alternative is Inuit, and that simply means yes. the people, and yes. uh, the singular for that would be Inuk. So mm -hmm. that's what I was able to, but you dug a lot deeper than me on this. So tell me I, where I I'm did. wrong and tell me how you can do <laughs> what I said. It's not that you're wrong. I did reach out to a fabulous Inuk woman and I did my own um, sort of research. And the derogatory term here in Canada, Eskimo, is an exonym, which means a name used by outsiders to refer to an ethnic, racial, social group, or its language that the group itself does not use. So according to the Canadian Encyclopedia, the origin of the word, it's a little contentious, but it's generally understood to be of... Algonquin origin. But whatever the origin is, it was used to describe the Inuit people of the Arctic regions of Alaska, Greenland, Canada, and Russia, but not all Indigenous people. So it is considered to be a hugely derogatory term here in Canada, and it is no longer used. However, we did speak about the very ignorant people who still use terms and words like that, unfortunately. But the word once was quite extensively and heavily in popular culture by the general population, but also by researchers and writers. So as we mentioned, Inuit is the proper term. And the change came about the 1970s. The use of the term Eskimo does perpetuate harmful stereotypes of the Inuit as remote, uh, politically insignificant, while also romanticizing the Arctic. According to the Canadian Encyclopedia, in 1977, Inuit met in Barrow, Alaska for the first Inuit Circumpolar Conference. So delegates from the U.S., Canada, and Greenland formed the Inuit Circumpolar Council. They created a charter, signed it in 1980, and they defined the Inuit as Indigenous members of the Inuit homeland, recognized by Inuit as being members of the people and shall include the, okay, I'm going to say some names here, and I'm really hoping to get them right, so I'm really sorry if I don't say any of them properly. Inupat, the Yupik of Alaska, the Inuit, the Inuvialit here in Canada, the Kalalite of Greenland, and Yupik of Russia. In defining Inuit as such, they rejected the term Eskimo. So as I said before, I did reach out to a fabulous Inuk woman by the name of Vanessa Brousseau, who is a wonderful content creator on Instagram and TikTok. Her handle is Resilient Inuk. Highly recommend. Her videos are incredible. Lots of teaching, lots of great everything. So she's not only an Inuk woman, but she is an advocate. She's a motivational speaker. She's a survivor, artist, business owner, and truth speaker. And she was really gracious enough to help me. And share with me some knowledge so I can, you know, share from her. For her personally, she did find that the pejorative term is wholly and completely offensive and degrading. For her personally, it is on the same level as other derogatory terms, which we obviously will not go into. And the term 
unfortunately for her, has been used against her her entire life. So she also did state that the use really stopped around the 90s being so much in circulation. So times have changed, thankfully. Indeed. And Vanessa, if you're hearing this after it comes out, please know we did our best and we wanted to set the record straight on that. And please forgive us if we got any pronunciations or any technical information incorrect, but we really did try. Whispers of my heart in the tracks of animals, I will leave my footprints to lie beneath the snow. And I love this line because you can't see footprints if they're below the snow. But maybe that's the point. He doesn't want to leave a mark or a scar on the landscape. He wants to come and go. He doesn't want to damage anything. He wants to experience what is there and then Mm -hmm. at least leave it undisturbed for the natural residents, both animal and human, that are there. Any thoughts on that line? I think that's probably my favorite line in the whole song because it's so Lightfoot-esque and it's just so mysterious and so kind of magical and mystical all at once and i think for him having known that he was there is good enough for him he doesn't want necessarily anyone else to know that he was there and i think it kind of harkens back to like you said all the people and animals that were there before him and after him as well i think kind of connecting us all as one type of thing it's a great line yeah i mean just if you want to use another metaphor i mean the circle of life But he doesn't want to do, I think, what other humans might do, which is, okay, well, we're going to cut the trees and we're going to take away from the biosphere. We're going to do damage. We're going to have dominion over the earth to use another thing. He doesn't want to do that. No, absolutely. He doesn't want to leave his mark. Whispers of the wind, I will feel it sting. I will see it rise and fall. I will hear it sing. The sound is like a song to me. It takes away the pain. The river is the melody and the sky is the refrain. And that's my favorite line of the whole thing, because he's coming back to this idea of the sounds of the wilderness are like a song to him. And Mm -hmm. we'll talk about the loons. I know we're still coming up with that. (laughs) And I didn't expect him to use the word refrain because refrain is a noun and it's also a verb. And of course, it's a musical term, but I didn't expect him to use it. And he used it so perfectly in that. And it snuck up on me. That rhyme snuck up on me in a way that the best of the Dylan songs do, where Mm -hmm. you didn't know he was going to use that. And then boom, gotcha. You're bamboozled. Yeah, you could call it that. (laughs) So any thoughts on that? Because that's pretty much the end of the song at that point. Yes. I think that's it's a very beautiful part of the song. It's so graphic like you can feel the words you can hear them you can feel them and i love when he says you know he can feel i will feel it sting what is he feeling the sting is he feeling the sting of the the cool wind is he feeling the cool water on his perhaps quite sunburnt face is it you know the rise and fall of the water hearing the water and the wind's song because as you're as you're paddling and in the bush, it almost does become like a song and the waves at night become like a song. And there's a reason why people listen to that sort of thing to put them to sleep at night. Right. It is a song. I really feel like for Gordon, the nature does take away his pain, whether that be of his split from his lovers or his his children or even maybe the past pain of all of the years of alcohol abuse and what that did to his life, to his health, 
to his relationships kind of all encompassing. I really feel like the nature and the river and water is really what soothes him. Like that is the balm to our Lightfoot soul. I really feel like that's what he's trying to say there. And not so many words. We'll be right back to our conversation with Adele Chalifu about Whispers of the North. But first, a word from a podcast partner or two. Attention listeners, the oldest record store in Toronto wants to buy your record collection. Cops Records is run by and for collectors. They know just how much heart goes into compiling your favorite music. Whether the vinyl belongs to you, a loved one, or a friend, they'll bring their 40 years of experience and sensitivity to every transaction. If you're thinking of selling a collection, visit Cops Records, that's cops with a K, dot C-A, or visit Cops at one of their three locations. Do you like classic albums? Technically, like the, you know, the 20th century albums, um, such as like Beatles, Led Zeppelin, <laughs> Rolling Stones. I've only had Beatles episodes so far. However, I'll be doing more. But welcome to my show, or rather, hey, welcome to check out my show. <laughs> um, all those years ago, a classic album podcast with the dipping sauce. Um, as you can see, the Harry George Harrison reference. Um, I review classic albums, um, not of those the likes of Beethoven, the likes of the Beatles and Rolling Stones, and like I mentioned earlier, uh, or what have you. <laughs> um, so yeah, check it out. It's every Monday. Um, and I do albums, conspiracies, songs, all that jazz. So just check it out. All those years ago, a classic album podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> he is finding healing there and it may not be permanent healing because he knows that that stuff is going to be waiting for him and it's not as if all the problems are going to go away but at least he's feeling some sort of restoration absolutely he's he's getting a little bit of a a reprise or not a reprise but he's feeling a little reprieve exactly yeah he's feeling a little (laughs) reprieve you know he's getting a little bit of a break from his insane life. Yeah. And it was insane because he was internationally known by this time. So now let's take a look at the record a little bit. The song was apparently released as a single, but it was a very limited release. Mm-hmm. I can only find that it was released in, in all places, the Netherlands. If it was released in the English speaking market, I can't find any record of it, and it didn't chart in the U.S. or Canada or the U.K. or Australia or New Zealand. The album went to 59 in Canada, 175 on the U.S. Billboard 200. So it really, at least in the States, the album barely scratched. And it's got great songs on it, but the book did imply, Jennings' book kind of implied that the album wasn't cohesive enough. It was also him trying to be adult contemporary, kind of jumping genres from somebody who was basically folk. I don't like thinking of Gordon as a country singer, but he still wishes that he had renamed it to be Whispers of the North. But I don't know how much that would have helped because 
the album as a whole is not about Whispers of the North. Just this yeah. song is. D- little bit of a difference there. So yeah. any other thoughts? It's very sad that this didn't chart. I don't know if he's just not had the proper promotion or the promoters backing him throughout his career. I just scratch my head sometimes when I think about this stuff. I was listening to your last podcast when you were talking about how uh, his first album really didn't do anything. And it's one of his best albums. And it makes me so mad. Like, why didn't it do anything? I think this is another case with Salute. There were fantastic songs on this album. It, It just blows me away. Like, Tattoo, you can't... Every time I hear that song, it's it lives rent-free in my brain for weeks. I cannot get it out, right? So it's so catchy. So I don't know why this gets me real fired up. I don't know why it, it didn't do well. Yes, he kind of jumped ship a little bit from his acoustic. But at the same time, you have songs like Naughty Pine. I mean, that's not a rock song by any means. And you have, you know, Whispers and even Tattoo. Like, they're not that far off from being his kind of usual vibes. But, you know, the same thing happened with Dylan when he changed up his style, too. People were real mad. <laughs> so I don't know why. I, I really do feel like it was just maybe a problem of promotion. I don't necessarily agree with Jennings that it wasn't cohesive enough. I think it's a great album. All of the songs are pretty awesome. So it's sad. It was his 16th album. That's no small feat either. So I don't know. He was certainly still producing. I think one thing that may be telling about his own dissatisfaction with it is that he doesn't play the songs from this album in concert very much. That's um, too bad. It is, but you could make the case, I don't make this case, but somebody else might make the case that this is not a characteristic Lightfoot album. But I also agree with the idea that it was probably not particularly well promoted. That was the problem he had had with United Artists. Mm -hmm. Now, Reprise may have, and there's probably information on this someplace, that there maybe Reprise just kind of threw it out there and didn't work it. It's really too bad. And you can't expect, I think it's really flat for us to expect the exact same thing from our favorite artists all the time, right? Humans are constantly growing. We're always changing. We're going through different things in our life. You can't expect the same thing from someone all the time. I I don't think that's very realistic. And Gord has had a life. Like he has lived, he has lived through some pretty crazy things. So just expect the same kind of thing. I think then he would have been thrown into a certain box, right? And then just said, well, well, Gordon Lightfoot's back out with another just acoustic album. Same old, same old. So poor guy can't really win, right? Yeah. And I think if he had done that kind of Wurlitzer effect that you're talking about, you know, where you turn the key and out comes the same stuff every time. Yeah. That's not the way music is supposed to work. No, and of it's not. certainly not the way that Lightfoot or Dylan or Neil Young or any mm-hmm. other of the great individual singer songwriters is, is supposed to work. It's not the way Joni Mitchell worked and other it's people. It's not the way life works. No, right? it's not the way life works. Yeah. yeah. We could go on and on. The musical aspect of the song, I'm going to go first on this one. The sound of the guitar was done in such a way that it sounded like a nylon string guitar or a classical guitar. It did not sound like a steel string guitar. It did not sound like a lot of his other acoustic 
songs. Now, that may have been because it was synthesized or processed a certain way, but I really liked it. I don't know what instrument he was actually playing, and the liner notes aren't terribly specific on it. Any thoughts? Is there a particular aspect of the song musically that you really dug or that really spoke to you? I love the whole thing, honestly, from the start to the finish. I really love the kind of faint echo of Gord's voice in it. I love the way that they did that. They produced that because it kind of mimics the loon. It does sound like if you're yelling over a lake at, you know, you get the echo of the voice and the the reverb. I really like that. That's how they did that. I really love the harmonies. Those were just so smooth. I loved the backing vocals and I really did like the synthesizer, which I can't believe I'm saying that, but I really liked it. It just fit so perfectly. And I think it goes to like his band is just, they work so well together. They, they just flow like water. I like how the music is just really uncomplicated. They don't try to do anything fancy. They're just letting the, the lyric do the job. And it, it has that really whimsical sound to it. I just, I love it. We'll be right back to our conversation with Del Chalifu about Whispers of the North. But first, a word from a podcast partner or two. Welcome to Books Boys. Every month, the Dean and PJ tell you all about the books they've been reading and make some recommendations from our old favorites, plus surprise call-ins from authors to talk about the works that they're writing, original music, prize giveaways, and more. That's Books Boys on BooksBoys.com and all good podcatchers. Books Boys. Get it. Buy it. Books. Hey, I just wanted to take a second to tell you about my latest podcast discovery. Fire Breathing Kittens is an actual play one-shot podcast that plays various tabletop role-playing games with a season-long plot. Because there's a beginning and an end to each week's story, you can start at any episode. Yeah, you won't miss a thing. Every week has a different combination of four from the same rotating cast of people. Join fire-breathing kittens as they solve detective mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. That's fire-breathing kittens podcast. Check it out. And then the part that you and I kind of disagreed on, or apparently disagreed on, (laughs) was the loons at the very beginning of the song. We both thought they were great. I thought it really set the tone. You did too. For me, I thought to myself, he he had the loons going for 13 seconds on the recording. I don't remember exactly how long the song is, but to me, 13 seconds was too long. He could have set the scene with half of that, but then that's me coming from a perspective of someone who's never been around loons and doesn't have the appreciation for their (laughs) impact on the natural environment that you would have, Adele. Yes. So first of all, how dare you, Mike? I'm just going to say that. Um, I'm just kidding. Slap on the wrist there. Like we said before, loons are just, if Canada had a sound, it would be loons. Uh, 
and I might be a little biased because they do mean so much to me. <laughs> I will give you that. And like I did say jokingly, you know, I would have taken 57 seconds of loons at the beginning and the end, whatever. It's just such a perfect fit for the song. I feel like it really enhances the song. And there's something so spooky and haunting about a loon call, especially at night when you're lying in your bed or in your tent in the sleeping bag and you hear the spooky loons on the lake. It's just something so ethereal about it and whimsical. And I think it adds so much to the song. I think it's perfect. I think I would have gone for more, but we can agree to disagree, Mike. It's okay. We won't fight about it. (laughs) (laughs) So I just looked it up. The song is three minutes and 20 seconds. You and I just disagree on a matter of, yes, we do. you know, timing. That's all not on the <laughs> appropriateness of the loons. So that's Agreed. fine. There were only four musicians that played on this that I could find. Mm-hmm. Gordon, Hadley Hawkinsmith, who did the high string bass, Barry Keane, who was doing drums and percussion, and Dean Parks did the synthesizer. So it's Gordon and Barry and then two studio guys. And it was very, very different you don't have Rick Haynes. You don't have Terry yeah. Clements. You don't have Pee Wee. You don't have mm-hmm. other people that have played with him. And that's not to say that it was bad. It was just a different sound yes. from what people were used to at that particular time. And I think he did his own harmonies on that. There was a harmony singer who was listed on the album credits, but I don't think she sang on this particular song. He's only played this song six times in concert. The first one was the same year that Salute came out, and that was in Ottawa at Southam Hall, which is the National Arts Center. And then he played it in 2002 in Kalamazoo, Michigan, at the Kalamazoo State Theater in April of 2002, and that's it. He Hmm. has not played it since then. And my sense is that it's because to reproduce... The feel of it would have been too expensive, and because you then you'd have to lug a synthesizer on there. I mean, not that Michael Heffernan can't play a keyboard that can synthesize things, but I think it was that. So I haven't looked at the other songs on this album to see how often he's played them. That would be fun to do. But it comes back to this idea that for whatever reason, he wasn't real satisfied with them, so he just didn't play them in concert anymore. I guess so. I mean, that's his right. They're his songs, but I think it's... It's too bad. It's really too bad. Again, like it's a great album. It's a great album. And I mean, I would love to hear this in concert. I would love to hear a romance in concert. So it might be just because, as we said on Approaching Lavender, go listen to it, that it was too hard to replicate live. It was just too hard of a song. So who knows? I guess maybe he just can't get the loons in Uh, hadn't thought of that and we did say if it doesn't make the song it certainly characterizes the song right no loons no song there were only four official covers that i could find john guy barkan who did this in french i guess Mm -hmm. jp cormier internet Mm -hmm. tribute to and then tony rice and so i asked if you'd heard any of them and i think you said that you hadn't my but I did own. listen. I did go and find them. Uh, I really wanted to hear the French version because we're in the land of the French here. And uh, oui. <laughs> oui, oui, for sure. And unfortunately, I could not find that. But I did find some of Jean Guy's other stuff. And it was kind of fun. I enjoyed it. I, I laughed a little bit. Not to say that he's not talented or anything. But 
I actually even played it for my fiance because he knows all the French artists and all the things. And he actually has never heard of them. So which I was a little surprised. But he did other covers like Level Maple Syrup and basically the same thing, just in French. So I couldn't find that one. The J.P. Cormier one, I wasn't a fan of any of them. I'm not going to lie. The J.P. Cormier one was very country. Okay. Oh, you could see my face. It's not a fan. It also was very John Denver-esque, which is great. I love John Denver, but I was just too fast. And it just kind of felt like it took away from the vibes of the song. Yeah. I couldn't find the Internet Tribute one, unfortunately. And the Tony Rice was another, another no for me. How did you feel? Did you like them? I felt the same way about JP's. Tony Rice, I have not heard. The ones that I thought of would have been either Paul Simon or Art Garfunkel just because I think their voices are good for this. I don't think John Denver would have done it. And I think John Mm. Denver is a little bit too sunshiny, which is not that I don't love the man I do and love his music. But Gord tends to be a little bit darker color, um, I think, in a lot of his songs. And I appreciate that. That's Um, a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Shania Twain is another one that I thought of. And I know that was a little bit of a leap because she's not known for doing things that are this introspective, but, no. um, you know, might have. Stan Rogers or John Stewart, God rest both their souls. Um, I would have loved to have heard either of them do this. Uh, John wasn't known for singing other people's songs. I don't know if Stan was, but in any case, I think either of them would have done pretty well on that. So Adele, as we're sort of wrapping up here, are there any other thoughts that you have on this song? We've talked a lot. I think we've probably squeezed more out of the literary analysis on this than any two other people ever have. Uh, Anything else you wanted to say about the song before we wrap up? I just think it should be, I was like Canada's anthem, but that's not what I meant. I think it's just, it's quintessential gourd. It's quintessential Canadian. I think it's really underrated. I think a lot of Gord stuff is you talk to someone, you're like, oh, Gord, I'm like, and they're like, oh, yeah, sundown. It's like, yeah, yes. But look at everything else he's done. You know, it's just kind of like one of those things. And it's very underrated. And that's really too bad. It's beautiful. It's mystical. It's magical. It evokes such strong feelings for me. And I really hope that it does that for other people as well. Even it's cool that you connect with it. And we're in completely different parts of the world, it feels like. So I really hope that other people feel it as well. And, you know, hey, want to come to Canada? It's a beautiful place. Mike, come on. I'm working on it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the analogy that you used, okay, is that, oh, yeah, it, it, Gordon Lightfoot, they immediately think of sundown. And the other analogy or literary analogy is that you mentioned the Oz books. People say, oh, yeah, Judy Garland. And then they stop thinking about it. And they couldn't be more wrong. Yes, um, I agree. Or they think, oh, yeah, oh, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Sean Astin. No, that's more to it than that. You know, read the books. Absolutely. Adele Chalifu, it's always so much fun to talk with you about Gordon's songs. And it's great to see you. This is the first time that we've been able to Zoom with cameras on. Uh, and so I know that I have a face made for radio. And uh, so it's, it's great to see you. Thank you for being on here. And you have a ways to go to get to break the record of the most visits or the most appearances on the podcast, but I would definitely like to have you back real soon. 
Amazing. Let's try. There's a lot of material out there. So thanks again for having me. I always love doing it. It's always so much fun. And it gives me a break from my feral toddler. So I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> my pleasure. And thanks for listening, everybody. If you like this well enough to listen to the whole thing, tell somebody about it. Carefree Highway Revisited is on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your listening matter. Our website is www.lightfootpodcast.com. I'd like to make a special request for you to visit my Patreon page. I love this show so much and I want to keep it going, and you're in a position to help. Please head over to www.patreon.com slash carefreehighwayrevisited. A dollar or two a month is all I ask. You can reach me, Mike Messner, at teachermike72 at gmail.com. Well, our next episode will feature my guest, Chris Davis, from Jackson, Mississippi. And he and I will be discussing the last time I saw her from the Did She Mention My Name album in 1968. That episode will be coming out in early to mid-July. Until then, for Adele Chalifu, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.